This ad-free podcast is part of your Slate Plus membership. Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hello and welcome back to The Dear Prudence Show once again. And as always, I am your host, Dear Prudence, otherwise known as Daniel Mallory Ortberg. No, not that Daniel Mallory, the other one. Uh, This week in the studio, I am joined once again by Justine D'Souza, a social media slash community management professional who also works for a youth helpline. Outside of work, she enjoys performing in operas, plays, and musicals. Justine, welcome. Thanks. I am so glad to have you here today because I think this might be the most outrageous set of Dear Prudence questions I have ever had on the show. I'm excited to be talking about these letters. I don't know if excited is the word that I would use. Like Terrified? Yeah, especially friends. Uh, just so you know, at, like at the top of this episode, there is one letter where somebody gave someone's dog away and pretended that it ran away. And so I just need you all to get ready for that one because you're going to all get very mad. And I understand. And that's not, and then the hall pass one is right after it. This is great. Everyone's life is falling apart. None of us know what we're doing. People are giving away dogs. I can't wait to try to wade into this. Justine, would you please read our very first letter? The subject line is dealing with dead friend's mother. Dear Prudence, in college, one of my friends passed away and his mother was, of course, devastated. She used to call me for comfort, which I did not mind at the time. Now, nine years later, she has found me on social media. She has started sending me messages about how much she misses him and telling me about his life. I'm going through a rough patch emotionally and cannot handle helping her through this. At the same time, I feel like a monster for ignoring a grieving mother. This is, uh, you know, genuinely sad. And to whatever extent it's possible for this letter writer to offer her even just a brief note or a brief response, I would encourage them to do it. Um, But, you know, it's also been nine years and you cannot be this woman's primary source of comfort. And and I'm kind of curious about, you know, nine years later, she's found me. It makes me wonder, like... Did you have to scale back so much back in college that, like, you were not letting her have any information about you? How much was she calling you, I guess is my question. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's pretty clear that the letter writer should not be the one having to respond to the issues of grief and is likely not the best equipped to deal with it anyway for numerous reasons listed here and not listed here. And I almost feel like social media might be part of the issue because it distances people, it enables them to do things that they might not normally feel comfortable doing in person. Right. Yeah. Like if she weren't, I mean, she may very well do that, given that like in the past she was calling the letter writer a lot. But it is much easier to send lots and lots of messages on social media than it is to um, leave lots and lots of voicemails. Right. Um, But I believe this line, I'm going through a rough patch emotionally and cannot handle helping her through this, that could very easily be adapted to, at this moment, cannot handle helping you through this. I think that very much expresses, you know, a sincere um, and heartfelt note to say, I feel for you, but at this time I can't really help it. Yeah, you know, my my thought would be if there's a way to respond 
again, only occasionally. Um, I would try to find a way to do that. Like, even if she's sending you lots and lots of messages to just pick, like, one day a week where you say something like, you know, thanks for sharing these. I also think of him often. I hope that you're looking out for yourself. Be well. Um, That don't, like, respond in real time. Um, That don't try to match the number of messages that she's sending you. But that is some sense of... I'm really sorry, and I, I remember him fondly, and you're not the only person who still thinks about him. That would be wonderful and loving. And and while it sometimes can feel a little difficult, I think, to give just a little bit to someone who clearly wants a lot, um, if you can see your way to doing that, I would encourage you to do it. If you just absolutely can't, if she is sending you just a, an unreal amount of stuff on a really regular basis, and it's super, super overwhelming, and you need to put a stop to it, Um, then, yeah, I'm right there with you. I think you just say, I'm so sorry. Um, I remember him really, really fondly. I'm going through something myself right now. I'm not available to hear this. Be well. Um, And then, you know, put her on mute so that whatever messages she sends, you don't have to see. Um, I think those are are the two options you have. Um, None of them involve feeling like you have to you know, give as good as you get where like if she's writing you a thousand words a day, you have to do the same. Um, And I'm really sorry. This is a painful point of etiquette. Yeah. I mean, if the letter writer is going to sign off and say that that's, you know, they're not able to provide any more support, maybe um, if they know of any resources for grieving that have particularly helped them, then maybe they can give that to sort of say, you know, this is what helped me be well. They don't have to, you know, go in depth with giving advice or support, but maybe just, you know, provide some things they know that they want them to continue. Yeah, I I, I think, you know, the only thing that gives me any clue here is like, I feel like a monster for ignoring her. And so if some of it is just like, I feel bad not responding to them immediately. And the only way I can see myself not feeling bad in that way is if I tell her to stop contacting me. You know, then I do think it is okay, and I don't think she would necessarily expect that you're going to be responding in real time to all of these. So again, you could maybe even say to her, like, I don't have a lot of time. I don't check the messages on this account very often. But when I do get the chance, you know, I'll say hello. I'll check in with you. Again, you don't have to do that. You're not a monster if you don't do that. This is someone um, you're not close with. You two don't have a relationship. You can both feel for her grief and also very reasonably say, you know, um, the mother of somebody I knew a decade ago is not somebody who I can help, like, work through their ongoing long-term grief. Um, and you don't have to say it cruelly. You don't have to tell her you're grieving too much. Um, you don't have to make any judgments about the way in which she is grieving in order to say, I'm so sorry. I, I can't talk to you about this right now. There's too much going on in my own life. Like, that is an okay thing for you to say. This is not like a best friend of yours who suddenly started going through something really hard and you're like pulling back. This is someone you don't really have a relationship with. Right. That's fair. But it's hard, and I'm really sorry, and and I wish you good luck with it. All right, next one. That that was like our last kind of easy is not the right word, but that was the last one where it was like, ah, uh, you know, nuance, difficulty. Now it's just like hard and fast intensity. Um, the subject of this next one is my husband revealed he hates dogs. Dear Prudence, it's been my lifelong dream to own a dog. I have always been open about this. When my husband and I started dating five years ago, he told me he'd love to own a dog someday, although it was never the right time. 
I now have a job that would allow us to afford doggy daycare. And when I told my husband I wanted to start visiting shelters, he confessed that he hates dogs. He didn't take my dream seriously at first and hoped I'd, quote, outgrow it. He claimed pretending to love dogs and talking about dogs with me has been exhausting, says he will never be okay getting a dog, and is sorry for lying to me but wants to move on. He also wants me to stop talking to him about dogs. I'm happy when we're out and we see a dog, or I like to send him a few cute dog pictures each week. I love my husband very much, but I'm crushed that I've been unwittingly bothered him and will never get to own a dog. I feel stupid and betrayed, and I worry that soon I'll be really, really angry. I don't expect everyone to like dogs, but I also wanted to marry someone who shared my love for them because dogs are important to me. Where do we go from here? I, I, I just got to say, like, your lifelong dream is to own a dog. That's such a modest dream. I want you to have that. Like, it, 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 I'm so sorry that, like, your lifelong dream has been something as achievable as getting a dog. And you've always been really, really upfront with this. And for some bizarre reason, your husband has, like, tricked you for years and now has just, like, dropped this really bizarre revelation on you and is like, but it's time to move on. No, it's not. We just got here. We cannot move on until we address your super weird, hurtful lies for a while. Yeah, I feel like this is almost in a way less about the dogs and more about the lie that the husband was fine with indulging the fantasy with no mutual interest or inclination and having a dog. And I'd be curious to see how he is otherwise, if there are other signs of him lying or saying something to please her, but not being there all the way. You know, and it sounds like this letter writer is really attached to this idea of having a dog. Yeah. It's a lifelong dream. Yeah. <laughs> and and it, it doesn't really seem to matter to him. It's just so weird to me. Like this is, it's it's it, it would be weird no matter what it was about. But it's like people disagree about dogs and still get married all the time. It's not like he was lying about wanting kids because he was like, well, I knew otherwise you'd break up with me immediately. Like, I feel like you can have a difficult conversation with your partner about not wanting dogs it does not it does not follow to me necessarily like oh i i mean it was wrong but i get why he lied like that's just bananas um so yeah you know the whole like it's time to move on you know it's time for you to get really mad letter writer you should be really mad it's it's important to be mad um because this was a bizarre lie um it was ongoing for years you you still don't really know why he told it to you he's he's kind of belittling you by suggesting he thought you would outgrow it like as if wanting a dog is something notoriously immature and like, oh, old wise people know, never get a dog. Like, that's that's just mean. Um, and, and it, you know, ask some important questions. This, this whole nonsense about moving on and especially this nonsense about like when a few times a week you send me a picture of a dog, it really bothers me. Fuck you. Like, you don't have to like a dog to delight in the fact that your partner enjoys a couple of times a week looking at a picture of an animal. That is a very, very, very like low buy-in move on your part. All you have to do is text back something like, cute, or what a sweet face. It's very easy, and it's part of what makes the world go around. I'm I'm not saying, like, leave this guy because he lied to you about dogs. I'm sure there will be plenty of people who will say that in the comments. Um and I will not restrain them. But sit with this one a while. Get mad. Let yourself get mad. Let yourself stay mad. Um, 
tell him that it's really important that you two have a lot of conversations about this and that you're going to want to ask questions and he's going to need to be able to answer you honestly. Um, And, you know, it may be for a while that you have questions about other things that he's told you. Um, and, And don't buy this like bullshit of, well, I just kind of figured you would someday turn 35 and stop liking dogs. That's not whatever's going on there, there's more than what he's admitted to you already. Um, And he needs to get honest with himself and he needs to get honest with you. He needs to acknowledge that he has hurt you unnecessarily. And he also really needs to understand that whatever else happens, whether you two do or don't end up getting a dog. And by the way, I don't think you should rule that out. Like, if you really want to get a dog, I think you should get a dog and he can just fucking deal with it. Um, but at the very least, if you see a dog when you're out in public and you want to say hi, or if you see a picture of an animal and you'd like to share that with him, you know, again, you're not like spamming him 24 seven. Like, um, yeah, you've, you've been honest and upfront about yourself. Um, it's not his, he has no right to make you responsible for the fact that he's been lying and getting secretly resentful. Um, and he has a lot of explaining to do. And I think you should get the dog. I think you should get the dog and consider it your dog and, you know, do what you can to to minimize the, like, effects that it would have on him. But it's your lifelong dream and your husband sucks. And I think you should get a dog and I think he should either deal with it or move on with his life and be honest with it. Yeah, the letter writer definitely deserves the dog. And um, I think that in asking these questions and discussing with the husband, the big question is why when faced with a difficult conversation was the instinct to lie and keep that lie going for so many years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, and that's helpful too because now that I've calmed down a little bit, I did my yelling. I'm really mad at this guy. I also, you know, I don't want you to try to uh, do anything rash. I don't think people should get dogs out of spite. Um, again, that <laughs> I, I do think you have a right to say like in the next couple of years I do plan on getting a dog at some point um but don't like go get one tonight and just say like fuck off man um that is my angrier impulse at play um but I really don't think that you need to rule out the possibility of getting a dog you've always been honest and upfront about it this is your dream um dogs are great and um this is your husband's problem, and you can talk to him about it, ask questions, but it's not um, – the solution isn't just, well, I guess I'll never get a dog, and it's my job to get over his lies. I'm mad again. I will buy you a dog. I will bring you a dog <laughs> right now. Justine, we need to talk about another letter, or I'm just never going to let go of this. Would you please read the next letter, and I'll try to lie down. The subject is caretaker PTSD. Dear Prudence. My boss's partner is very ill and has been in and out of hospitals, had surgeries, etc. over the past three years. Lately, it's gotten progressively worse, and I'm finding myself reliving the trauma of my mother's death. She had a terminal illness for many years, required surgeries, chemo, endless tests, months-long hospital stays, etc. I was one of my mother's main caretakers while I was a teenager, and seeing another person go through this slow and horrific process is just gutting. I want to support my boss, but I feel myself having trouble getting out of bed in the morning, knowing that I have to be strong for someone else who's going through the worst shit imaginable. We're a small office, and I don't know how to distance myself from this so I can work productively and efficiently, which I know is the best thing I can do for my boss in this situation anyway. Any advice on how to limit your exposure to secondhand trauma or situations that may be triggering? I feel like an asshole writing this letter, but I'm just trying to see how I can better figure out this situation. All right, I did a lot of yelling on the last letter, so I think you should take the lead here. 
Okay. Um, well, I think I would have liked a little bit more information about how the letter writer feels like they have to support the boss because beyond the letter writer's basic job function, the letter writer shouldn't have to be doing any emotional support or anything like that. Um, and if the letter writer feels like their boundaries are being pushed, they can definitely take some steps to adjust that, um, even if it involves talking to HR. Yeah. I would also advise the letter writer to maybe make sure that they fully processed everything that happened with their mom, um, whether through therapy. And I know some health insurances have a helpline where you can call for a couple quick sessions to talk through a situation. Maybe they can revisit what's going on with their boss, um, figure out if there are any um, ways that they could you know, find some short-term solutions. Um, and I would also advise things maybe like trying some things out to see they work, like taking more breaks, um, being outside more, maybe some meditation or mindfulness practices, um, depending on what works for the letter writer. But um, I do feel like the letter writer shouldn't have to be exposed to so much secondhand trauma and shouldn't have to feel like there's a big burden of supporting the boss beyond their basic job functions. Yeah, I do think there's two really different um, things potentially at play here. One is like... Um, is your boss making direct requests or even indirect requests um, that have anything to do with non-work related um, life stuff? Um, and if that's the case, you know, I think it's important to say you're not available for that. The other is a little trickier because it's sort of like if just seeing your boss walk in looking exhausted and thinking, I know what that exhaustion feels like. I remember it. Um and that feels, you know, like it, it, it puts you back in, in that like traumatic time of your life. Um, that's a little bit harder because there's there's less you can do, I think, to limit that. Um, so certainly, I think, you know, when you're at work, do your best. If, you know, I know it's a small office. You may not be able to like have headphones on and be kind of just focusing on at your desk 24 hours a day. Not 24 hours a day. No one works 24 hours a day. Um, but, uh, you know, to whatever extent you can minimize um, conversation or, or, or input from your coworkers, I would say do that. Um, make sure that you plan stuff for after work that feels energizing and restful, whether that's like taking a hike um, or spending time with your pets um, or calling a friend um, or, or just doing something that feels like really marks that the workday is over and kind of gets your mind empty and, and not focus on what you just saw. Um, and also, yeah, talking to HR and just making it clear that um, you you don't. It, again, if it feels like your boss is bringing a lot of really personal information um, or, or asking a lot of you, um, finding ways to get support in saying, I can't do that. Um, you know, and that thing about I want to support my boss, show up, do your work well, um, be friendly, be kind. That's it, I think. Um, you know, don't don't feel like you need to also on the weekends or on the side, like step up and do a lot of heavy duty friend duty. Um, sorry for repeating myself, but yeah, I, I just think um, this is your boss. There are other people in your boss's life who can are, are better equipped to help them go through a personal crisis than one of their employees. Whenever possible, you know, it's important, I think, to differentiate that 
the boss's experience is separate from the letter writer's own situation. So um, just keeping that in mind and trying to create those boundaries mentally in that distance. Yeah, you know, you're not you're not a jerk for um, trying to get some distance. Um, you're not a bad person. Um, you don't have to take on any sort of like extra responsibilities because you like can see your boss's distress and you remember what that distress feels like when your own mother was dying. And so you feel like because I know what that's like, I've got to do extra or, or, or be there for this boss in a way that everyone else isn't able to, um, you know, just be at work when you're at work. Don't volunteer yourself for anything extra. Um, don't do anything beyond just the sort of like, how are you doing? You know, it's good to see you. Like, obviously, don't ignore your boss. Um, don't be don't be cruel or cold. Um, but don't don't add to your workload. And you know, Justine, do you feel like this is the kind of situation where it would potentially be helpful to say like? I've been through something like this myself and it's really hard? Or do you feel like that that would just be inviting more intimacy or or more sharing about this than is necessary? I think it depends on the dynamic the letter writer has with the boss um, and how they've previously interacted um, and sort of how the letter writer thinks that the boss would respond. You know, if the boss might be able to still keep good boundaries if that's what they're doing now then that would be good but if the letter writer gets the sense that they might start latching on and you know asking for advice and wanting to talk about this more then maybe it'd be better to not go there yeah yeah this is just really tricky especially because it's a small office and you um i wish i had like a really great sense of how to chart this course i you know i would just say also like up to and including looking for another job um, again, that may not be feasible right now, but it, like if you hear of a, a similar job at a bigger company and you think that that would be better for you, I, I guess mostly what I mean is like you are not doing something cruel by looking out for yourself or trying to make sure that when you're at work, you're doing your job. Um, it is really sad about your boss's partner. And of course, you know, your boss's colleagues and employees will want to um, be kind and friendly and check in, especially during work hours. But I think they will. your boss will have other people in their life um, that they can turn to for support right now, and you are not going to be the deciding factor. So, um, you know, not getting to work early, not staying at work late, not going out of your way to um, offer more support than just being friendly and, and kind at work is going to be good for you, and it's not going to hurt your boss. You know, just that line about I have to be strong for someone else who's going through the worst. Like, you don't have to be strong for your boss. Your your boss has family and friends, and they can be strong for your boss. Um, but that's not your job. Yeah, and probably being able to fulfill the letter writer's own job description and tasks would ultimately help the boss, you know, and knowing they don't have to be like micromanaging or on top of the letter writer too much. You know, that's one thing taken off their plate. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, if you need to occasionally work from home, do that. I don't know if your your office allows you to do that, but if it ever does, do it. If you occasionally need to take a sick day, um, do it. You know, again, within reason, don't, don't endanger your own position, but Take this space. It is not your job to be strong for your boss just because you know what it's like to care for somebody with a terminal illness. 
other people are doing that. Okay, this is it. This is the big one. This is, um, here we go. For some reason, by the way, Justine, I can't figure out, like, I just, I was more angry at the husband earlier who lied about wanting dogs than I was the first time I read this one. And I think I'm probably going to need to change that because this is objectively worse. (laughs) Like, by any standards, this is so much worse than lying about wanting dogs. Um, I think it just seems so, like, soap operatic. It doesn't quite feel real to me. Yeah, I think also it's the letter writer's attitude in this one that might have mitigated your initial angry reaction. Right. But, yeah, um, it's you know, whenever somebody clearly feels guilty and apologetic, it's 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 hard to stay as mad as someone who's like, "Yeah, I lied, but get over it." Um But yeah, I whew, okay, here we go. Subject, I gave away my boyfriend's dog and I lied about it. Dear Prudence, 5 years ago, I did something unforgivable. While my boyfriend Kyle was out of town, I gave away his beloved dog. I hate dogs. Kyle is a dog nut. He's totally obsessed with them. Instead of breaking up with someone whose values were different than mine, I acted cruelly. I regretted it almost immediately, but I didn't know how to extract myself from the situation without losing Kyle, so I lied and said his dog ran away. We searched for her for months. The more I've fallen in love with Kyle and the longer that we've been together, the worse my guilt has become. The fear of him finding out the truth petrifies me too. Now I'm pregnant, and the stress of this secret has become crushing. I feel like I've trapped Kyle, and I despise myself for it. He knows that I'm stressed, but not why. What do I do? P.S. I deserve the hate and condemnation I will receive. So, you know, there's lots going on here. Part of, did you get a read on this one? Um, Was it clear whether or not the letter writer has told Kyle yet that she's pregnant? Oh, no. Actually, that wasn't clear to me. Uh, based on the second read of it, I would think no. Yeah, because the stress of this secret, my first time around, I was like the secret being that you gave his dog away. But now uh, yeah. I'm a little worried that it's both. So I'm going to go ahead and assume that Kyle doesn't yet know that you're pregnant. Um, and I don't know what your plans are there. I don't know if the pregnancy was completely accidental or if you guys have had a kind of like laissez-faire approach to if it happens, it happens. I don't know if the two of you have talked at all about wanting to raise children together. Um, I don't know if you're still on the fence about whether or not you want to carry this pregnancy to term. Um, so given that there are a wide range of, of possibilities there, um, you know, I, I, I don't think that the situation as it is is ten like I don't think you can go on the way that you're going. Um, my first thought when I had read it, and I had kind of thought they both know that the letter writer is pregnant. They've been planning on starting a family. My thinking was a little bit more on the side of, God, this is horrible. But you know, it's time to think about the child, and I worry about what effect it might have on the baby if if you reveal this information, you know, right before the baby came. Um, and now I don't know that I'm quite so like. You just need to suffer with this information by yourself forever. Um, I, I, I'm not qualified for this. I gotta say, um, this is this feels like I should turn to all the other advice columnists in the world. I think there's no perfect answer, no matter what. Um, I think that's what makes this a little bit complicated. Um, I think that one thing that might help. The letter writer a little bit to get some clarity is to see if 
that the letter writer can cut out some of their own self-loathing mm-hmm. so that they can think more clearly about it because definitely the letter writer is sorry and feels bad and notes that this was a significant mistake. So I think that getting that out of the way um, as much as possible will help figure out the best course of action. Um, I don't know if I would necessarily advise continuing with the lie because that essentially means that the future of their relationship is still based on this shaky untenable foundation to quote your earlier word yeah i mean the thing that i come back to is you know the letter writer says you know the fear of him finding out the truth petrifies me the stress is crushing i have trapped him i despise myself so, I, I, frankly, I think even if my advice to this letter writer was take this to your grave, there's nothing to be done about it now, and there's no point in making Kyle suffer too, I, I just don't know that the letter writer is going to be able to keep this secret, especially, you know, if she does decide to try to, like, keep the pregnancy, raise a child with Kyle. Um, I, I think that this is only going to keep coming up because, like, of course, as the idea of starting a family together comes to mind there's this thought of the last time i was entrusted with care for something that kyle loved i gave it away and didn't tell him so it makes sense to me that there's a fear there of like what kind of parent will i be that was a big you know um inciting incident in terms of how you built the foundation of your relationship with kyle so boy oh boy if if the two things you need to tell kyle are a of all i'm pregnant and b of all your dog never ran away. I gave it away. That's, you know, that's going to be a big, com- that's going to be a bad, big conversation. Um, I, I I think it might help to, to see a therapist just for like a couple of sessions before you do this. Maybe even just one, maybe just even on the phone. So you can kind of get a sense of um, how you want to communicate the information. Um, and then giving him some space. Yeah, I think that the letter writer should also prepare for a potentially negative reaction and not expect Kyle to, you know, I guess to basically the conversation should be less about having Kyle have a certain reaction, but more to be honest and get this out there and, you know, leave things where they are. So um, Kyle might have a negative reaction and that might not be something that can be prevented Yeah, I mean, a a couple of things. One is, you know, if you do decide to tell him, and I I just think you should. Like, I don't think that this feels good right now. I don't think this is going to be a way you can build a lifetime together. I don't think you're going to be able to keep this from him. And and I, I, I want, you know, you know you did something awful. Um, and I'm glad that you're able to recognize it, but, um, uh, you also, I don't think, can like make that the focus of the conversation because he needs to be able to be very angry with you. Um, and if you do too much of, you know, I know I'm awful, I know I'm the worst, um, that kind of takes out any room for him to get mad. Um, so, I, you know, I would say first, find out if you can who the people are uh, that you gave the dog to because it may very well be that he will want to talk to them um you know i i do think he has a right to know if you can find out where these people are um and the and and the dog is still alive like you should have that information for him if you can get it 
telling him the truth actually might be more liberating and comfortable than this state of wondering what if and keeping the secret and having everything trapped inside. Um, so either way, um, whatever happens, this will be a big step for the letter writer and also for their relationship. Yeah, I, I mean, I, you know, it's not going to go great. Um, I don't, you know, people do stay in relationships where there's been, uh, you know, intense infidelity or betrayal. Um, and and I'm, yours may very well be one of those relationships. I, I don't know. Um, I also would not be at all surprised if he ended the relationship. Um, and it may have, you know, pretty serious social consequences if you're close with many of his friends. And after five years, my guess is you may be, but... Um, I th- I kind of think there's a part of you that wants it to be known because you've just been punishing yourself privately for years now, um, but without any, um, uh, you know, because nobody else is watching you get punished, there's no sense of, okay, I can move on from this, even if it's like in a different way um, or start a different kind of life or accept that I've lost something as a result of it and try to do better in the future. Like you're stuck because you're the only one who knows. And so even if his response is awful and he breaks up with you and you become, you know, a single parent and you two only communicate through lawyers, um, as painful as that might feel, at least you would have the opportunity to really deal with what you did, um, spend some time with a therapist and, and talking with the people in your life about why you did something that you think is unforgivable, and find ways to eventually um, forgive yourself. And I don't say that lightly or like, don't worry, your life will be fine once you let your boyfriend break up with you. Um, but as awful as I think what you did was, I also want you to be able to live a life. I want you to parent a child if that's what you want. I don't think that you should be, you know, thrown away. Um, But you cannot begin to forgive yourself until you first um, are honest with somebody else about what you did and are willing to accept some of the consequences of it. That's the first step. So if you don't tell him, I don't know that you'll ever be able to forgive yourself. I worry about that and I want that for you. So, um, I think, you know, maybe before you tell Kyle, if you have a parent or a very close friend that you trust, that you can talk to about it first, um, maybe tell them what you're planning on doing and that you're scared and that you understand that they'll be angry with you, but you also want their help because you you want to take responsibility for what you did. Um, and, and if you lead with that, and, and if when you lead with Kyle, you know, you can say, um, I, I want to help you be able to locate this dog if that's possible. And I also am not trying to get out of responsibility for this. I'm not trying to um, avoid it. You need to know. You have a right to know. I'm sorry. And 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 then, you know, kind of leave it at that. I think that will um, – it won't feel good in the moment. It's not going to be like, oh, what a load off. No big deal. Uh, it might not good for, feel good for a very, very long time. But I do think five years from now you will not feel quite that same sense of – only I know how bad a person I am. Um, you will feel like you have gotten to make really different choices. Um, and while you can't ever take back what you did, um, you can at least, you know, base future relationships on, on different foundations and act differently towards other people. And you can't start that until you tell them. So um, I think maybe tell him if you plan on keeping this pregnancy, talk about the pregnancy first because that is actually the bigger news even though we've been talking more about the dog um because that will that will 
if you plan on keeping this baby, um, if nothing else, the two of you will be financially uh, linked for at least 18 years. Um, so that's important to talk about. And then um, once you have done that, I think a separate, but the next conversation needs to be, I've got something to tell you. <sighs> yeah, one more plug for honesty is that you know, the longer that this couple stays together and they start building a family, um, the dog question is surely going to come up if he's a dog nutter. Yeah. So um, it, it, I think, needs to be dealt with as soon as possible. Yeah. And, you know, the, 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 uh, and one more reason to tell him is, you know, you know what you did was cruel, but, but I think one of the cruelest parts of it is he's spent the last five years wondering if his dog is dead. Um, or if she died, you know, in pain. Um, and and you know, I think, uh, that that's not true and that the dog is with another family. Um, and maybe the dog has died in the meantime, but at least I think you have reason to believe that the dog is, um, you know, physically well. And for him not to know that, you know, for him to be wondering all the time is she still alive right now is she sick is she hungry did she get hit by a car you know you have you have the power to take that fear and that sadness and that grief away from him um and and i think that's probably going to be the hardest thing for him to come to terms with about you is that you saw him worrying and suffering every day about what had happened to his dog and you didn't tell him um i i think you guys will end I, I think this will probably spell the end of your relationship. I, I think that probably needs to happen. Um, I think that will be good for Kyle to know and to be able to not be in a relationship with you will be good for him. Um, I want him to know this. I want him to not suffer um, while worrying about his dog. And, and I want him to be able to decide whether or not he wants to be with you as a result. And um, yeah, I I I just think the right thing to do here is is to continue on the path that you started walking down when you wrote to me. Um, you started breaking your silence with somebody who doesn't know you. And I think that's partly because you know you can't keep doing this. Yeah, and whatever happens next, um, either way, it's good that Kyle has all the information to make the decision that makes the most sense for him. Yeah. And you just, you know, now, now you know um, something about yourself, which is that you no longer want to um, make big decisions on behalf of other people um, in order to control them and then lie to them. You know you don't want to do that again. Um, and you can find a therapist and talk to your trusted friends um, and take responsibility for what you did and say, I want to do what I can to try to make amends. I know I can't make it right, but I also don't want to treat people like this in the future. You can have that, you know. You can't, you can't ever undo this. But you can redo your future, um, and that will be good. Yeah. Um, and it will be better for you than just hating yourself until you die. Um, yeah. And Kyle, I'm really sorry. I'm really, really sorry. Whew, my, like, I, my little guy is about to turn 14. Um, my dog, I mean. And he's, you know, getting to be on his... You know, he's he's at the later stage of his life. He he does not have a long, long road ahead of him. And so I'm just uh, feeling a lot of sadness about the idea of dogs today. And um, everybody out there, hug a dog if you can. And if you don't like dogs, 
don't lie about them or give them away. Just leave them alone. Leave dogs alone if you don't like them. All right, Justine, we are going to move right along to something nice and light and breezy, which is just a confusing weight loss infidelity pact. Um, Much simpler, (laughs) much more straightforward. All right. Subject, my wife breaks her promise to grant me a hall pass. Dear Prudence, a year ago, my wife and I agreed to lose weight and keep it off. We are middle-aged and needed to lose weight. As a reward for our achievements, we agreed to give the person who lost weight and maintained the weight loss hall pass a hall pass. This kind of proposal is not out of the ordinary for us as we have done kinkier things than this hall pass idea. For the whole year, I worked out, watched what I ate. At the same time, I kept reminding my wife of our agreed deal and continuously asked if she still wanted to go through with it. She said yes every time. So I lose weight and keep it off for the whole year. My wife, on the other hand, wasn't able to meet her weight loss goals. She now says no deal. She gave no reason other than she changed her mind. Turning back, her turning her back on our deal feels to me like a betrayal of trust. I would have been okay if we both achieved our goals but decided not to go through with our deal. Now I can't trust to do anything for her. Nor can I trust she would be there for me. What should I do? Do I drop the issue and lose complete faith in my wife and our marriage? What the hell? This letter was really confusing to me. I, like, I, I feel like this guy wants us to say, well, shoot, you know, you guys agreed on it a year ago. Like, this feels like a weird, like, playground pact the two of you made. And you're like, well, we pinky swore on it. So she's, like, reneging on a deep. This is made up. This is made up. You made this up. Like, I I just think this is so dumb of you, letter writer. This whole, like, look, it's the principle of the thing. You've got to keep your word. What? No. Like, if you you kept asking your wife if she wanted to change her mind. So apparently, like, up to this very day, you were ready and willing to change if she was no longer into the idea. Now she has said, you know what? Now that I think about it again, I'm not into the idea. And you're like, too late. You only got five options to change your mind. Um, I think this was a weird, dumb proposal for the two of you to have made in the first place. Uh, It certainly pegs a lot of, um, like, associations with weight loss together that I think could be very, like, harmful to your just intimacy in general, which is sort of like, if you get a certain amount of thin, you get to have a certain amount of exciting new sex. And if you don't, you shouldn't. Um, But like leaving all that aside, like, yeah, your wife is no longer comfortable with the idea of you um, having sex with somebody else right now. Um, The correct response to that is to say, okay, we'll take that off the table. Let's talk about how you're feeling in terms of our intimacy and closeness right now. How are you feeling uh, about yourself? How am I making you feel? Is there more I could be doing to love and support you? Um, And then go do those things. If you stamp your feet and insist, it's not fair. I went to the gym a bunch, so I should get to, like, try to get somebody to suck my dick. Um, You know, you're just... A of all, I don't think that that's going to result in a lot of strangers wanting to suck your dick. I don't think that's a very attractive starting point. And and B of all, I don't think it's going to make your wife feel like we should definitely do more fun, kinky stuff like this in the future because I feel so listened to and appreciated. Yeah, I mean, like in healthy relationships, people can change their minds about 
anything and they should be able to talk about it and have an open dialogue and be able to figure out where the other person is coming from. And it doesn't necessarily sound like that's what happened in this scenario. Um, you know, if the letter writer really wants to figure out what was going on in her mind, it sounds like it might be better to drop even the mention of hall pass in the conversation and have like maybe a bigger conversation about trust and the dynamic of their relationship and communication and things related to those topics and this particular scenario. Yeah. I mean, like leave the hall pass out of it. Yeah. And just like, I can't trust to do anything for her. I, I'm not quite sure what that line means. Um, yeah. I stumbled over that a little when I read it. Yeah. There's, there's some word missing there and I'm not quite sure what that word is, but like, I can't trust she would be there for me. Like, Seriously, man, you can't trust that your wife would support you because she feels slightly uncomfortable that you lost a bunch of weight and you really, really, really want her to sign your get my dick sucked for free pass. Like, I bet you're a little more imaginative than that. If you're not, I'm really sorry. Um, But try for a minute to imagine why she might have changed her mind. And don't ask her about it in terms of like, explain yourself. This is bananas. You have reneged on our deal, you welcher. Um, but say things like, of course, I don't want to sleep with somebody else when like we're experiencing conflict or we're not on the same page. I only want to do it if it's a fun, sexy time for both of us. Um, so it's off the table. Do you want to talk about how you're feeling? Um I would love to hear more about what has changed for you, Uh, not because I'm trying to change your mind, but because you are my wife and I love you and I want to have fun, sexy games, not weird point scoring, hold things over one another's head sort of games. Um, So this whole like, oh, I've lost faith in my wife because she doesn't want me to get like raw dogged by some stranger at the gym after I check out my packs. Like, that's just dumb garbage. And you need to be better than that. Um, so be better than that and listen. Yeah. And weight loss is complicated, right? So, you know, it's, it's a lot more than, you know, just going to the gym and watching what you eat. You know, some people could do that and still not lose the amount of weight that they want to. So maybe you want to check in with her and see how was this for you? Cause if your real goal is wellness for both of you, then, um, you know, a conversation about how her wellness is and how she's doing, is more important than the hall pass or points or whatever else. You know, if it's about how healthy she is and how healthy you are, then that really should be the priority. Yeah. I also just think like, again, and I'm not trying to make any claims that like, uh, you know, attempting to lose weight or to go to the gym more or to eat differently. I'm not saying those are bad things, but like tying uh, rewards to weight loss and then like adhering to it, like this, um, legalistically um, kind of ignores the fact that your wife might feel kind of bad right now. She might feel like she was trying really hard and you were able to do something she wasn't and now you want to do something that would make her feel even more left out um, and maybe feels a little embarrassed about sharing this with you because you're being so insistent about the hall pass. Um, And like when people already feel vulnerable, if they feel like the other person is looking for reasons to score points on them, they're not really going to be inclined to share those vulnerable thoughts. So you need to create a space where your wife feels comfortable being vulnerable with you. And that means, like, deal with the fact that for at least the immediate future, the person you'll be having sex with is your wife. I'm so sorry for your loss. That must be so difficult for you. And, like, give her a chance to talk with you honestly. 
Um, and maybe in the future, if you want to do like a fun, kinky game with one another, don't peg it to um, attempts to diet. Keep those things separate. That that clearly does not, you know, create an atmosphere of joy, ease, and self-love in your household. It's kind of counterproductive to the whole wellness thing. And maybe that was a stressor for her when she was trying to focus on her own weight. Yeah, but like having just come off a couple of letters where there are serious betrayals of trust, like giving away someone's dog or like listening to someone be super honest about how much they love dogs while lying and then saying, just kidding, I lied, you can't have one, get over it. Those are betrayals of trust. Um, Saying I'm no longer comfortable, you know, with our weight loss free sex bargain and I want you to listen to me is not a betrayal of trust. Um, So please, you know, climb down off the cross. We need the wood, as they say. And just like... Yeah, don't be a petulant baby about this. It's very unattractive, and it's not going to make anyone want to suck your dick. Ugh. Okay. Moving on. Is it my turn? Is it your turn? I get so miffed sometimes. It's your turn. (laughs) Yeah, I couldn't get that. It's uh, your turn. All right, my turn. Great. Subject. Family time balance. Dear Prudence, I had an unhappy childhood. As an adult, I've created a peaceful relationship with my divorced parents and sibling by speaking to all of them separately over the phone once every few months and doing roughly one separate in-person visit with each of them per year. My husband's family is nothing like that. They all live very close to us, get together multiple times per week, siblings, spouses, cousins, nieces, nephews, etc., and are constantly calling and texting each other. Can you help me think of a compromise? I'm overwhelmed with that much family time and constantly find excuses to leave family gatherings early. Otherwise, I feel withdrawn and emotionally exhausted. I think one family event per month would be great, for example, maybe a family dinner. My husband doesn't agree and is frustrated by my lack of enthusiasm. He has no obligations with my own family, and I've never asked him to join me on my yearly visit. He's only met my parents a handful of times. It seems very unbalanced. Any suggestions? I like his family, but I'm used to being independent, and this close-knit family situation is foreign and overwhelming to me. I feel for the letter writer. I think that their feelings are totally valid. Um, The only caveat I would say is maybe um, the comparison might not be that helpful, because clearly family means different things to the letter writer and the letter writer's husband. So um, that might not be the best way to go about it, comparing expectations. Um, I mean, I do think that Um, it's important for the letter writer's husband to understand where the letter writer is coming from and that their perspective is based on life experiences. And, you know, just like the letter writer isn't going to try to change their husband's mind about how the husband feels about family. um, The husband also can't force the letter writer to be enthusiastic about family things and the letter writer is less likely to be enthusiastic if it's an obligation and um, maybe I would opt in for saying that the letter writer shouldn't have to go to every single event and be on every single group thread or chat or whatever it is because um, I could understand that this would be a little too much all things considered. Yeah, I also, it's nice to have a problem where I feel like everyone's kind of trying. Um, and they are all good people who care about one another and just have sort of competing interests. I'm, I'm glad. Um, 
So, uh, yeah, I do think one question is, like, you say that you had an unhappy childhood. So it, it may be, like, you feel like, I do know how to handle each individual member of my family by myself. And introducing, like, the dynamic of bringing my husband with me would be stressful. But, um, you know, I would say ask yourself two questions. One is, um, do you want to keep visiting each member of your family once a year? You say that you've created a peaceful relationship with them, but that you also had an unhappy childhood. Would you like something more than peaceful? Would you like to maybe see them every other year? Um, It sounds like maybe you've just gotten into this habit and you kind of haven't asked yourself if this is working for you more than just maintaining the peace. Um, You know, ask yourself if you would like to visit them less. Um, Or if if you do genuinely enjoy these visits and you want your husband to come with you, if part of what's bothering you is this idea that like, yeah, I guess I never really asked him to be a part of these family trips, but now that I can see, he just kind of feels like it's super easy to incorporate me into his big, boisterous family, and my family is kind of like my problem to handle. Uh, I, that's no longer working for me, and I do want him to commit to coming at least occasionally on these trips. Those those feel like really important questions to ask, um, in addition to thinking about what is a useful compromise in between, you know, seeing every member of the family a couple times a week versus only coming by to a family dinner once a month. Um, so I would say spend some time with those questions and then, you know, you've got your offer to your husband is one family event a month and his is, I don't like that. What else you got? Um, you know, maybe ask him, you know, okay, so something more than one and less than what we're doing now, we need to meet somewhere in the middle. Can you try to meet me in the middle? What would you, what's your, what's your next best offer? And, you know, you can do that in kind of like a playful spirit. It doesn't have to be like we're antagonists and we're fighting. It can just kind of be like, I want to be able to come to some family events. Um, I want to be able to uh, feel like I'm not committing to staying until who knows when. I want to have like a clear sense of when I can go home so I can decompress. It's not because I don't like your family. It's not because they're not fabulous people. It's just a lot for me. Um, so, you know, knowing that I am not always going to stay until two in the morning with you and that I can't come to all of these events, where can you meet me? And, you know, go back and forth a little while until you, you know, maybe it's twice a month, maybe it's three times a month, maybe it's once a month. But if you occasionally get put on a text thread, you have to participate a little bit. But, you know, I, I, I think, I think you can advocate for that with him. Yeah, and maybe picking and choosing the things that you go to, the ones that are more low-key, the ones that have fewer people, um, maybe focusing with the people that you already know and you're comfortable with. That might be something to consider as you prioritize which things are really necessary for you to participate in and which ones maybe your husband can just go to by himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I think also just to really stress, like, because he may just kind of think like, well, your family's kind of difficult and mine's really close-knit, so why wouldn't you want to just be absorbed into it? Um, to, to maybe talk a little bit about how, like, I get that my family is difficult, but it's also my family. Um, and I don't want to just feel like yours is the good family that we have to spend time with or get to spend time with, and mine is the bad family that you get to kind of ignore. Um, that's kind of painful for me. And so even though I don't want to spend lots and lots of time with my family, I do want to feel like um, you take some interest in my relationship with them, um, even if it's not as kind of like fun and boisterous as yours because I'm your partner and because this is the family that, you know, created me. 
Um, and, and I hope that you can say that in a way that your husband can hear. Because um, I think he's being, you know, thoughtless is maybe a strong word here. But I think he's just maybe not um, really imagining himself in your position yet. Yeah, I think he could grow a little bit more in empathy because if someone hasn't grown up in this close-knit, very large family dynamic, it, it's natural that they're uncomfortable to be thrown into it. Yeah. And, you know, there's lots of people that I love but would not want to be talking to on the phone with every day. And um, hopefully, you know, he can see that that does not mean that you think that they are bad people or that you dislike them. Um, It's just that, you know, if you don't get a certain amount of time on a daily and weekly basis where you can be quiet and read and reflect, um, you feel agitated and a little bit cornered and you don't want to do that. Um, And so these are things that you need in order to be a good house guest or a good in-law and that you're not just doing it because you don't like them. Yeah, and reading this letter, I almost thought that there's an introvert-extrovert difference here as well. And maybe bringing that up might help make the conversation less personal and less about your family and my family and more about this is really what I need to function on a daily basis. So that's funny because there actually was a line about introversion in here. And I cut it out because I feel like there's so much... um discourse online about introverts versus extroverts and sometimes people can use it in a sort of way to imply like um as an introvert i'm incapable of the following things or as an extrovert i must have the following things or else the sun will implode so i did kind of want to avoid that but yes this letter writer has described themselves as an introvert um and yes if that language is useful to you and your husband um certainly throw it in there um but i Yeah. I just also think you don't need that word in order to say, I like and need some time to myself on a regular basis in order to be able to enjoy social interactions with other people. I think that's a totally reasonable thing to say with or without the label of introversion. But that's like my own little personal axe to grind. So I don't want to make the letter writer responsible for my axes. Yeah, no, I didn't imagine the letter writer saying, well, I'm an introvert. So this is but maybe talking more about um, generally when I'm around a lot of people, I feel, you know, that kind of talk if necessary or if the letter writer feels like it's helpful yeah absolutely okay next one's all you subject anxious coworker. dear prudence my office recently hired an older woman named kelly she's had a hard life homelessness mental illness and loss of family in her home she tells everyone this in the first 30 seconds of a conversation she overshares with everyone including customers this is having a negative effect on business Kelly was hired to a position where she has to interact with the public at least half of her shift. Our manager asked me to keep an eye on Kelly when he is out and on site. I have tried, but it has been a month. Kelly panics over nearly any slight deviation from the norm and will drag me away from my work to deal with it. Or she makes a client uncomfortable and I have to soothe their ruffled feathers. I feel like a babysitter, but I'm wary of bringing it up to my boss because Kelly desperately needs this job. I have tried talking to Kelly and even skipping my lunch to role-play different scenarios, but nothing makes it end. I'm starting to feel resentful. I yeah, I think you got to talk to your manager. I I don't know how. Um, you know, I I understand that different offices can have different practices, but I do think it's it's going a bit above and beyond asking you to keep an eye on somebody you're not actually supervising. Um, so I think maybe say to the manager, "It's been a month. Um, I've been keeping an eye on Kelly when you're out." Um, 
I I can no longer um, commit to doing that because it's interfering with my ability to get my own work done. So um, I'm going to from now on tell her that if she has questions to um, take them to you. And if it turns out that something's not working, um, I I hope that you will be able to help her, uh, you know, get the help she needs. Yeah, I agree. I think the manager definitely needs more involvement in this situation. And I think that as a whole, they need a sustainable solution for Kelly because clearly Kelly needs more help than she's getting and help in a way that doesn't keep the letter writer away from their job. Um, You know, one thing I also wanted to say to the letter writer is that in a normally functioning company, um, it doesn't go straight to firing after one month. And the letter writer in no way, regardless of that, has to feel responsible for Kelly's job situation. Um, I think that... um, one thing to keep in mind also is that um, if Kelly has experienced this level of instability, it's pretty normal that she'd have a hard time transitioning to office life where it's pretty dependent on a stable dynamic. And that's really the manager's job to step in and help with coaching or resources. And so I think the letter writer really needs to step back a bit and get the manager more involved and explain what they're going through, what they need to do their job, what they're not able to do in this situation. And I would also suggest documenting everything. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm right there with you. Like, I I think it is unlikely that your manager would hear you say, you know, I'm not able to keep that eye on her anymore because I need to focus on my own work and say, oh, I'm going to fire her right now. So my guess is um, your manager will get a clearer sense of what Kelly needs and will be able to offer her help Um, And in the long run, if she is unable to do this job, your running back and forth and trying to put out fires is not going to be the thing that keeps her from getting fired. Um, That will eventually become clear just because you are only one person and I don't really see how you could do your own job well enough to keep your job and hers at the same time. So, you know, you, you can say all this to your boss without saying, by the way, I think she's just an absolute mess and and will never be able to do this job like you're not um telling tales about her you are not um saying anything uh that would make your manager think you were trying to undermine her career but you're just letting your manager know frankly that your manager needs to do a better job managing um that like hiring somebody who has a lot of difficulties performing their job duties and then leaving a lot and just turning to somebody else who doesn't manage that person and say like, hey, make sure that they're fine is like, uh, you know, he, he he's not living up to his duties. Yeah. And I would suggest that if the manager doesn't comply and isn't reasonable and still tries to pass off these managing responsibilities to the letter writer, the letter writer should maybe escalate and go to HR or the boss's boss or whoever the appropriate party would be in this scenario. Right. And in the meantime, you know, when it comes to when there's just moments when the manager's not in the office and it is just you and Kelly, um, you know, I would say if you guys are about to like lose a super important client and you need to step in, you know, make that call, go for it. But um, when it comes to a lot of the other stuff, or if it's not the kind of thing where like the loss of this particular client would um, make or break your guys' ability to stay afloat as a company, um, I think you're going to need to start saying to Kelly, I'm actually not able to step away from my work right now. Sorry. Um, Yeah, 
I was about to say the same thing that um, the letter writer is going to have to learn how to set up some boundaries once the managing transition is set up, you know, give her whatever self-help resources she needs and, you know, be okay with walking away whenever necessary. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's just going to be a part of you that feels like I absolutely can't do that because of how hard her life has been and how freaked out she is right now. But the, giving into that every time is only going to create a situation where you get so resentful, so burned out, and so exhausted that you're unable to continue being helpful to her, and she will get fired. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's a you, you, you've got to draw a boundary because otherwise you're just going to end up having to like kangaroo kick her away. Um, so you know, if she is nervous and comes to you and says, "Oh my gosh, uh, I'm 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 totally panicking," um, then you need to just be able to say. Um, I actually can't step away from my work right now. Um, good luck. I, or even just like, I can't help you with that right now. Um, and, and I don't need like maybe suggest that she contact the manager, but frankly, I think just saying I, I, I can't do that right now is sufficient. Um, because otherwise I worry that, she, you know, if you say I can't help and offer a suggestion, she'll shoot that down and say, what else you got? And so you'll end up helping her anyways, because she'll demand that you come up with a solution for her. Yeah, and I guess everyone should remember that in the best case scenario, it's not one that Kelly gets all the help she needs all the time. It's that she's self-sufficient and reacting appropriately in the proper chain of command. Yeah, yeah. So um, I, yeah, obviously, like, that doesn't mean, like, starting tomorrow you have to be super cold and super abrupt with her. Right. Um, but if she's freaking out and there's not a real problem, or especially not a real problem that you need to fix in that moment. If it can wait, but she's just uncomfortable, it's okay that she's uncomfortable. And you can just say, you know, I'm in the middle of something. I can't help you with it. Yeah, I would advise the letter writer. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, that's that's it. I was mostly just kind of like mumbling out loud. Okay, I was going to advise the letter writer to when they talk to the manager to make the conversation more focused about um, this is my work and this is what I need to do. And you, like, you know, show examples of how, you know, sort of pseudo managing Kelly is taking away from that and, you know, less about Kelly and Kelly's job security and things like that, because really the letter writer's main issue is that they're having trouble doing their own job because of Kelly. Yeah. Um, so I think this will be better for everyone. It is hard when you are dealing with somebody who panics uh, over very small things not to um, kind of reach their level of panic or like I've got to stop this right now because this person panicking is freaking me out um, but you know if it's really not a huge problem and you've already gone over it before um, and you know that the manager's job is to help her with this it is definitely definitely okay to say I can't help you with this right now um, you know the manager will be back in a couple of hours I recommend you either talk to him then or you know figure something out um, that is not like a horrible thing to say and and definitely quit skipping your lunch to role play scenarios. That's um, that's not that does not fall under the umbrella of useful training. Um, that is not giving her like a meaningful skill that is just engendering resentment. Yeah, and you know, um, I guess if Kelly has gone through all of these things, you know, panic and um, you know. Asking for a lot of help might be kind of normal for her. And, you know, I would just try to advise the letter writer to not get sucked into it and to sort of separate this is Kelly's reaction and kind of normalize like, yeah, you know, sometimes things do happen that go away from the norm and 
we just move on, you know, kind of remind her, um, you know, when it's necessary that, you know, so we don't need to make a big deal of this and don't get caught up in her um, thoughts. Yeah, well, uh, that's going to be it for today. I cannot believe that there are so many people out here lying and giving away dogs. Um, I hope all the people who hate dogs can end up together and just have quiet dogless homes and that everybody who wants dogs and has dogs can end up with partners who don't give them away. Yeah. Justine, thank you so much for coming back and just wading your way through uh, a very intense week. Uh, Thank you so much. Oh, no problem. Ironically, last time I came, I had just had a huge allergic reaction to a dog. Oh, my gosh. um, I'm really sorry. Uh, How are you now? I assume better. Uh, Yeah, um, much better. Um, I thought it was ironic that today was the dog letter day. It was just pure dogs all around. So I assume that that means that tomorrow you're going to have a problem at work or something totally unrelated. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. And uh, until next time. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Phil Circus. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Production assistance was by Taylor Simmons. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash dearprudence to subscribe. And remember, you can always hear more Prudence by joining Slate Plus. Go to slate.com slash prudipod to sign up. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR, that's 3327, and you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location, and at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short, 30 seconds, a minute tops. Thanks for listening. Thank you.